So what are the odds that you're going to become absolutely filthy rich? We're going to dive into those numbers and strategies to tweak the odds with comedian and host of the Crazy Money Podcast, Paul Ollinger, on today's Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Cihai. I'm Paul Ollinger. Thank you for having me, Joe. I'm so, so glad you're here. Where are you coming from, Paul? Oh, I'm coming from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, the sunnier Atlanta, Georgia than it might be. That's in been nice. It's been the 70s this week. I Easy. played golf last that's 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 enough salt in that wound uh this is the money show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders like paul paul was a thought leader before he said that maybe not so much anymore from across the financial landscape we break them down into what matters to you our friends and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own now we do that for you six days a week all in uh, between 15 and 20 minutes today's show is brought to you by m1 finance Smart money management, take control and personalize your finances, invest, borrow and spend seamlessly all in one platform. To get started, head to m the number one finance.com forward slash MWF. And I know they have had a um, a bonus for people if they're rolling over IRAs currently. So if you've got that old 401k sitting doing nothing, move it to M1 Finance. We'll talk about that later. But right now we're going to talk about Mr. Paul Ollinger, who's hanging out with us. I feel so lucky. I've got goosebumps. My favorite topic. Uh, Paul Ollinger, your favorite topic? Let's talk about me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's what like, can I throw you with today? <laughs> please what stop. No, no, no. Keep going. Please stop. Keep going. Okay. Stop. Yeah. So you were at Facebook for people who missed yesterday's show. You were at Facebook. You were in the top uh, first, uh, t- what, 250 people you said that were hired? Uh, yeah, I was I was about to uh, employee number 250. That's right. Yeah. Yes. You and Zuckerberg making all the decisions together. He would call me at home on the weekends and be like, what do you think about our engineering? I, I don't even have it. I have no technical skills whatsoever. I don't even have the language to make that joke. Now, I, I met Mark on a dozen occasions. We chatted very, very briefly, but, uh, but I was around, I was in Los Angeles. I was running the West coast sales team in Los Angeles. And, uh, so I'd go up to Palo Alto, the headquarters, which at the time were just spread all over these little offices where there'd be like 30 people here, 50 people there, 20 people over there. Um, and it was very much a time as the company was young and, and building and getting going. It wasn't the behemoth that we know it to be today. And, and you left there to go into the big money of becoming a comedian. That's right. That's right. Uh, millions in stock options didn't do it for me. So I decided I wanted dozens of chicken wings and, and, and dozens of dollars per show, um, which I sometimes get. If it's a good gig, I can, I can make it into the, into the low $100 range. Touring yeah. exclusive places like Northwest Ohio. Yes, Northwest Ohio. I was in Memphis, Tennessee last week or two weeks ago. I love uh, Memphis, by the way. Syracuse is coming up. Memphis is a fun town to visit. I, I, I lived there for seven years. I think it's a great place to visit. Mm. My buddies live there, love it. They're very loyal to it. I lived there when I was 25 and they started looking at me going like, why aren't you married yet? And I was like, I think it's time for me to leave. Oh, look at the time. Time to go. Yes. <laughs> Said the guy who's so, but, now. But, but no, I, I, I felt, uh, you know, I went to college there, Rhodes College, and I felt, I, I, I felt very warm and this connection to the place that I hadn't felt on previous visits. So it was great to be back. And, uh, and, and I would almost say back home, kind of. Well, we're glad you have it back home here for your second appearance in a row. So happy. 
Damn we are going to jump into the odds of us becoming filthy rich. But to get there, let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's show. Just like hanging out and talking about money news. That's why I tune in with Money with Friends. All right. Today's piece, Paul Chose, came to us from Investopedia, written by Amy Fontenelle. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called Getting Rich. What are your odds? You want to do the honors, Mr. Ollinger? Sure. Let's jump in here. Do you hope to be rich someday? The U.S. had 11.8 million households that were millionaires in 2018, or about 3% of Americans. In the same year, 607 were billionaires. That's about one in 538,715 of the population. Given these numbers, how good do you think your odds are that you could join the ranks of the wealthy? Let's look at the percentages of other commonly explained phenomena for comparison. Being struck by lightning. (laughs) I like like the uh, font change they did there. Your chances of being an American billionaire are similar to your chances of getting struck by lightning. The National Weather Service, except if you get struck by lightning, Elizabeth Warren isn't going to come after you for, um, never mind, I'm not going to get political. The National (laughs) Weather Service estimates that the odds of an American being struck by lightning in a given year are approximately 1 in 1.2 million, and the odds of being struck if you live to be 80 are 1 in 15,300. So that's there's an incentive to live to 80. Either get struck by lightning or become a billionaire. Yeah, right. Your your chances go up of both. Either way, either way, Paul, it's going to be memorable. That's right. They and they, you know what they do. Your odds of getting impetigo go up considerably the longer you live. Also, winning the lottery. Your chances of winning the lottery really depend on which lottery you're talking about and what you mean by winning. For example. If you play the multi-state Mega Millions lottery, you would win anywhere from $2 to $250,000 in a non-jackpot prize. Or you would win or you would win a jackpot prize of upwards of 1.5 billion. You could also win nothing, of course, which is the most common outcome. Mega Millions states that your odds of winning a jackpot prize are 1 in 302,575,350. Your odds of winning any prize are one in 24, which are basically the same of winning at that McDonald's Monopoly thing. Mm. The odds of winning a $10,000 prize are one in $10,000 prize are one in 931,001. That's specific. The large jackpot Mega Millions is awarded was 1.54 billion in 2018. I'm reading the Becoming a Homeowner or no? Uh, yes, you are. But before we get there, $1.54 billion is the largest jackpot. You can't live on that. Paul, but it's a good start. That's only pre-tax. That's, right. you know, I mean, after taxes, that's only 800 million. So pff, poor guys. Tough. Becoming a homeowner. The numbers fluctuate somewhat each year, but in general, 60% to 70% of U.S. homes are owner-occupied, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. People in the Midwest and South are more likely to own their residences than those living in the West or Northeast. This is not surprising given higher real estate prices in the latter two regions, clearly. It seems that becoming a homeowner is an attainable goal for most people, especially considering that not all of the people who rent actually want to become homeowners. Yeah, good point. Sure, sure they don't. Sure they don't. <laughs> I, I actually, since I got into financial media, I've met more people that don't want to be homeowners. I mean, well, but, but they want to have the option if they could become, it's it's not that they they they're, they don't, they would like to be in a position to buy a home if they wanted to. I yes. think most people would say that. To be Agreed. True. Yes. Yep. People don't like being renters by with no choice but to rent. Agreed. 
earning a six-figure income, according to the current population survey's annual socio and economic supplement, 17.2 million people earned a six-figure income in 2014. That means roughly 5.4% of Americans earned six figures back in 2014. Now, if you consider households, your chances of having a six-figure income rise nicely. Nearly 30% of households had a six-figure income in 2017, up from 25.7% in 2013. However, being middle-class or making over 90000 doesn't mean as much as it once did. A 2019 YouGov poll reports that despite 13% of Americans uh, making over ninety thousand dollars only 44 percent of respondents to the survey said someone making that much money was considered quote rich but 56 percent of survey takers said that making a hundred thousand dollars a year was considered rich what are the odds the idea that your chances of getting rich can be quantified is a fallacy i'm glad we read all that to get to the fallacy based on the idea there's a finite amount of wealth in the world actually there's no cap on the number of people that can become millionaires or billionaires the more good ideas that are implemented made successful by creative and hardworking people that are facilitated by a favorable regulatory climate and tax regime the greater the percentage of wealthy people we can have in the u.s and in the world so that's uh I think we'll stop there and let, let amen. Hallelujah. Let the peace go. Yes, absolutely. Why'd you choose this piece, Paul? Because my friend Ken Doble sent it to me right before you asked me for a piece. And I thought it was interesting. Perfect. That's fantastic. Hey, Ken, <laughs> shout out to Ken. Ken, what's up, man? Ken sends me three or four articles a day. Uh, and he's, he's the guy that keeps me, keeps me informed. He's basically like my, my RSS feed. <laughs> this, this is, he's, he's, he's your uh, curator. That's right. That's yeah. right. And he's big into this. No, I thought it was interesting. I, I, I'm fascinated by um, the language of money also and things like the lottery and, and, the, and the way this article is written, like soberingly low yesterday's article. I mean, these are, these are, these are, um, these, this word choice is not an accident, you know, in our clickbaity world. But, but I think that our money is so closely related to our emotions that people think about it in, in this framework that, hey, what are my chances of getting rich? As if it's not 100% determined, well, not 100%, but like a high proportion of whether or not you get rich is based on what you decide to do with your life. Not just about like what you spend today and tomorrow, but what did you study when you were in college? What choices did you make around a whole bunch of things in your life that either lead you to or away from, from, um, from solvency? You've had all kinds of interesting people on the the Crazy Money podcast, but have you, have you talked to a poker player yet? No, you know I had um, what's her name Annie Duke was going to come on. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, Annie, you're due. You're due. I was um, I was about to talk about Annie Duke because her book Thinking and Bets, which is yep. what, what you would have talked to her about. I think makes a great point that uh, I've heard other people echo. I was very surprised listening to the Tim Ferriss show one day, and I'm not going to get the gentleman's name, um, but he's the co-founder of this awesome restaurant in Chicago called Linea. The last couple of years, it's been uh, rated as the number one restaurant in the United States. And he was talking about, he's the money behind a, 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 a Blah, easy for me to say. Alinea. Uh, mm-hmm. Grant Atchison, I believe his name, is the chef. So uh, he talked about how, as a money guy, about thinking and bets as well. 
and talking about how Vegas, even when you look at as an example, roulette wheel that has uh, what 49 and a half percent chance of winning is a horrible bet versus some of the things that he does. Like he doesn't invest in anything unless he thinks he's got like a 70, 75% chance of, of winning, which is why they said it was crazy him getting into the restaurant business. Cause as you know, that's a horrible, horrible uh, uh, thing. But what's funny is that this this owner of Alinea said, and I think about this all the time, he said, Las Vegas is filled with people who don't understand what good odds are. Mm-hmm. And it immediately changed my framework from, well, I kind of thought 49.5% is pretty decent odds. To no, 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 in no, no. Vegas, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Relative to your other choices in the casino, I mean, you're only right. sure about the casino is going to the bar. <laughs> I mean, you're pay- you're getting something that you're paying for, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I then I started thinking about the how you can pad your odds, right? How how do you pad your odds? Like he was talking about all the things that they do at this restaurant to get better odds, and mm-hmm. Annie talks about thinking in terms of bets, like what. Like what does what's he do? The what, is, what does he do with the restaurant to make it more likely to not fail? Well, uh, uh, partnering with a guy like Grant, he's more interested in how do I get people to show up? So they change their reservation system from Open Table, which a lot of restaurants use. Uh, the problem with Open Table is that the customer has no skin in the game, and so mm-hmm. you can make a reservation on Open Table, you can cancel it 15 minutes before, and you're out zero dollars, and the restaurant has a table sitting open. And right. he says that if he and Grant want to create the type of experience they want to create at Alinea, they need every table full. Of course. So um, I went on their website, the Alinea website, and looked at scheduling a table. After I saw, by the way, on Netflix, on Chef's Table, you can mm-hmm. see the thing about Grant on Chef's Table. I'm one of the, it's in season two, I think. And you'll want to go immediately. You'll immediately want to go eat at this place. And I went there. And I put down a table of four because my kids were going to be in Chicago with me and it was going to be $4,000 for, (laughs) and, and different than open table, Paul, I was going to have to pay up front. And it said, there is no, um, no take backs, no refund. refund. You, you can't do it. it. You know, so that's the same in comedy, you know, like people say, why don't you just give, if people aren't coming to your show, why don't you give tickets away? It's like, well, if you give somebody a ticket, they're not, more people will not show up if they didn't pay for it than if they bought a ticket themselves. Right. So, so, so giving away tickets, if you want people to actually have skin in the game and, and follow through, it's important to charge them for them. It's it's funny. Uh, financial planning was actually, I didn't think of this until just now, but financial planning was the same way. Uh, I, I found, and I read studies that when people would pay a fee for a financial plan, they were much more likely to implement the plan where if they had a free plan offered by an insurance agent, right. With all kinds of crazy recommendations that may or may not fit, uh, not that you would want to implement many of those plans, but people would do nothing if the plan was free. There's this perceived action. If you had to have some skin in the game, which is frankly why I like having coaches in the first place. And I pay coaches. I, I probably pay too many coaches, but I found my career's always gone really well. And my, you know, weight is in check. My workouts are good because I pay coaches. And I know that when I write that check, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to get my money's worth. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, my gym has a policy where if you make a, make a reservation for a class and you cancel, they charge you 20 bucks and you know, it's 20 bucks isn't going to kill, you know, most of us, but like, it just pisses me off enough to where like, I'm not going to pay that 20 bucks. Right. Right. Isn't that funny that just 20 bucks stands between you and something we used to. So, uh, I used to, as a trick for people who couldn't save money, we would set up an automatic, uh, uh, payment plan into a savings account. And because I was in Detroit, we would set up the savings account in Minneapolis for no other re- reason, except for the fact it was a long ways away. Sure. And, and there were, and we didn't give you, I wouldn't give you, well, you could have it if you want it, but I'd recommend not getting checks and not getting a debit card. And you mm-hmm. had two ways to get your money. You could call me or a 1-800 number at the bank that it was at and process the transaction. And by the way, your money would then come, uh, it would take usually about 24 hours to get to you via ACH. If you wanted the money wired to you because it was an emergency, it was going to cost $15 to have mm-hmm. your money wired to you. And it was amazing to your point, how sticky 15 bucks made your money. Yeah. Because well, that's good. If, if, yeah, if it's in your local checking account, listen, there's no barrier. You go, oh, your brain goes, oh, I got 20 bucks or I got a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks sitting right over here. I can get at it. Right. But if I tell you, yeah, you can have it, but there's $15 between you and your own money. All of a sudden your brain, which is very smart, thinks of a better way. Right. Well, I mean, if there's a cookie sitting on your desk versus a cookie that's, you know, at the store, which one are you more likely to eat? The one that's right there. <laughs> the Fritos you were talking about that you found a good home for. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. No, it's 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 incredibly interesting. So I think about stacking the odds, I guess, to bring this around, Paul. And I yep. think about what are some things that you can do to stack the odds in your favor? Well, I think number one, make things automatic, right? So you only have to think about it once. Mm-hmm. Look at investments historically that have a long track record of doing what you want them to do and keep them for that time frame. That's another yep. one. Um, uh, per- think about what could possibly go wrong ahead of time. So put your insurances in place and your cash reserve in place so that when something inevitably does go wrong, that you're covered. Like those are three very simple ones, uh, ways to pad your odds. What, what I was struck by uh, was something that Donna Cheney said in the comments right here. Um, what I was struck by, by about this article Donna says, who is defining rich? And I think that's the, the, the most important question to ask yourself up front. What is your financial plan in service of? What kind of a life do you want to live that money helps to empower? Uh, your, your, your objective shouldn't be to make as much money as possible. Your objective should be, I want money to help me live this kind of life. From there, you can then say, to do that, I need to work at this level, my investments need to return this kind of level. I need to keep my spending at X. And then you can implement a lot of those other tactical stuff that that helps you achieve those goals. But not having a goal overall, start with the end in mind, as I believe you and Abraham Lincoln both said <laughs> at the same time in 1862. Um, uh, w- without having the goal in mind, what are you working for? W- what, are your, w- what role do those investments play in your life? Uh, I, I totally agree. Chasing the horizon, the horizon's an illusion. And it always seems that there always has to be more, more. Absolutely. And that's why some of these object, some of these sort of arbitrary levels of wealth in here, you know, talking about what some people consider to be rich or wealthy, right? It said what something like 56% of people considered a hundred thousand dollars to be wealthy. 
Well, that's about you know twice the average income in the United States, maybe a little less. But everybody believes rich to be that which which is viewable, but just beyond their reach. And that's generally about 2x that we believe, hey, I'd be happy or I'd feel rich if I had twice <laughs> the amount of money that I have. And then you get it and the horizon's 2x further down the road. It's, and it's a big, giant fallacy that our human operating systems play on us. And we got to be aware of it or we're going to continue to, to you know, chase the dragon of, of that next level of wealth. Rebecca's hanging out with us also. By the way, we've, we're uh, having a lot of fun here uh, doing the show live on Facebook. If you want to hang out with us while we make the show, head to uh, facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins, the Stacking Benjamins Facebook page, or our YouTube channel, where actually later today, uh, Bobby Rebell and I are going to also be doing some shows for the future. But Rebecca says a couple things here, Paul. She says, money helps me live. I don't live to make money. Uh, and I that strongly echoes your point. But she also brings up another thing I want to talk about for just a second before we we say goodbye is about how this conversation changes the way you look at things rebecca writes the stickiness also grows to free stock trades is a lot of people know that follow the show we reported all fall long that starting with uh schwab and then td ameritrade and everybody else all of a sudden went to free stock trades free stock trades paul i don't think are a good thing because when you can easily depart a stock and you don't have to, like I remember holding on to a stock just because I had an $8 fee and because mm-hmm. of that I ended up doing the right thing which was nothing where now that it's free and I can just get out I I, I think we're going to see people mess up their own money at a faster rate than ever before well you're seeing that on the spending side as well Amazon Prime is designed right. to keep you from thinking that's that is what and, and it's a brilliant product. I'm not denigrating it. I'm I'm I, we have two subscriptions in my house. I don't know why. We just do. But it is designed to remove friction, which part of friction is the consideration of whether or not you need that damn product in the first place. They're like, no, it's gonna be here tomorrow. I mean, extra large box of strawberry <laughs> pop tarts now. That's that's the whole purpose. The purpose is 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 for your tr- itchy trigger trigger finger to hit you know, sell or buy right at that moment. That's what it's all about. And so we have to be more aware of that as human beings, that these companies are, uh, they're playing a game with our psychology, same as casinos, to get us to do what they want us to do, which is to generally give them more of our own money. There's a there's a great book, another great book. We mentioned a few different resources today, but this one is called The Everything Store. And it's the story of, of Amazon, and uh, which is, so interesting and so scary all at the same time. Um, but uh, when they were able to patent or trademark, I don't know which one, it, it's patent, I believe, uh, one click. Mm. When they got away with that, because the people at that time running that technology had no idea what the hell they were letting them do. Uh, a lot of people said that was game over. Amazon won. <laughs> the second that they could do one click and nobody else can. Right. That's that's a huge advantage. Just ugly. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, in, in a short period of time, you know, four years ago, how many boxes and envelopes were showing up on your front porch on a daily basis? Probably one every ten days. Today, it's like five every two days, or some crazy number. It's become the default way we get our products. Hey, I'm out of razors. I'm not going to drive to the store. Why would I do that? <laughs> kind of a moron does that anyway amazon's amazing yeah uh, wish i had bought the stock joe wish i'd have bought the stock with that free stock trade 
five years ago. I did not buy the stock either, my friend. So that's two of us. I did on Microsoft though. That's gone well so, after after a decade of nothing. It finally mm-hmm. has been great. Hey, uh, in just a second, Paul's going to have a very brilliant takeaway, and I will probably then follow with uh, with oh, I like his. So we'll see how that goes. But while we give Paul time to come up with that, let's talk a little bit about M1 Finance, which is a place where I handle my money. M1 Finance is smart money management. What I like about M1, they were the first company that actually worked instead of on free stock trades. It is free, but it's it's for investors, not traders, because you trade in pies, meaning you take whatever amount of money that you have to work with and you divide it according to your asset allocation. Whatever diversified approach you need to reach your goals, maybe it's 25% of it goes into a large company ETF. Uh, that's a horrible number. Let's go Let's go. what we talked about yesterday, Paul. 60% into a large cap stock ETF and 40% into an aggregate bond index. Not a great asset allocation either, but you can have that as a pie for maybe some shorter term money and then have a more aggressive pie for your long term money and have those in the same account by the way investopedia awarded it a 2019 award for uh for one of the best tools out there when it comes to money management it is all free check out m1 finance it's m the number one finance.com use our link mwf so they know that we sent you by the way uh they that's how they pay us is uh, if you use our link, if it works for you, then um, we get something and we can continue to podcast. So, so use the link, people. Use the, the link. Uh, so let's, uh, he- let's transition to the big, big ending here. What is your takeaway, Mr. Allinger? It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Uh, getting rich. First of all, define rich, define what rich means to you. And by the way, if you, if you want to, Joe, if I told you with a hundred percent certainty that you could be rich, would you be interested in my product? Would you, would you, would you want to know what that is, Joe? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Spend less than you make and stay alive. Thanks. Those are my, those are my choice. Th- those are my, that's what you should be thinking about. Not about whether or not the mega millions is, is easier to win than becoming a billionaire. You should define what rich is, put a plan in place, spend less than you make. And if you want to buy a lottery ticket, do it at the McDonald's Monopoly game. We talked a lot about um, about uh, different sayings, different quotes. Another great quote that I absolutely love is you can't shrink your way to greatness. And when you see people that try to go cheaper and cheaper and cheaper with everything in their life, um, that doesn't make you better. It just makes it cheaper, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with cheaper if it doesn't matter in your life. But if your goal is any type of greatness, um, I think it has a lot more to do with how do you pad your odds for greatness? You surround yourself with great people. You surround yourself with a plan that works. You look at what people have done historically to get there and you not just emulate them, you copy it. Um, and start thinking in terms of odds, think in terms of how do I pad my odds? I really, I really like that. The odds of you becoming rich is way, way, way better if you stop thinking about everybody else and just think about your own strategy. That's my takeaway. I like it. That's better than mine. You won I, that one. I don't think so. I might have, I might have done okay yesterday, but today you won. <laughs> I don't know Mad about that. Props to you, Joe. 
What's going on at Crazy Money, my friend? Crazy Money. Next week, we have uh, the best of year one in review. We're, we're at our one-year anniversary. We did, uh, we've done 50 episodes. We're very excited about that. This is a weekly show, but it's an hour long. Um, the week after that, we've got a guy who ran Twitter in the, uh, for, for all of Europe. He's, he's Bruce Daisley, and he's got a book called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Uh, eat, Work, Sleep, Repeat. I don't know which one it is. It's one of those things. But he's all about how do you make the workplace better? How do you get more out of life with work as a part of it instead of vice versa? It's a very interesting conversation. He's British, so it's it's charming. It's also. even better. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I can just, I had an Australian roommate, nothing to do with British, but I guess at one point they did, had a lot to do with British, but but yeah. no longer. But I, my Australian roommate, I could just listen to him talk all day. Dis- yeah, I don't know. It's compelling. Dis- I don't know. He's he's but but uh, Bruce is from. He says his accent is 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 non desirable in the the UK, but he's a very charming, very smart, <laughs> uh, interesting guy. And that is at the Crazy Money Podcast, which is available everywhere. Uh, only where fine podcasts are found, but yeah, everywhere. Yes, uh, Paul's going to be back here again, guys, in four weeks. With more fun uh, coming up tomorrow, Bobby Rebell and I back again with more fun here. On behalf of Paul Ollinger, I'm Joe Salcihi. We'll see you back here next time at Money with Friends. Bye bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihi and Bobby Rebell and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Taylor Eichenberg engineered this show, and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.